The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Okay, David, over to you. How are you feeling? Ah, good morning. Yeah, nice to see you. Um, uh, you can see me from my exclusive bunker. Uh, it's, it's, no, it's a joy to be with you and to share uh, God's word with you. Um, I thought I would, since you're, as Peter says, uh, such sharp lawyers, I thought I wouldn't uh, let you see me in my pajamas. And I thought I would dress up. And what I've got here, if you can see that, that these are my lucky cufflinks. Though we don't believe in luck, of course, but they are my, uh, uh, there are two areas. Picture of Dundee, and they're a picture of a place called Port Mahomet in the Scottish Highlands, where my parents live, and where I was brought up. So I thought I would. I I, I like wearing these. Uh, we as a Christian, we don't believe in good luck charms, but that's. Um, I like wearing these almost kind of as my mascot when I'm doing something new, and this is something new. Uh, a while ago, before I read the passage, let me just tell you this. A while ago, um, I was phoned up by a radio station called Kerrang. And some of you may know Kerrang, I suspect most not. It's a heavy metal station. And initially I thought it was a joke. And they said, would you like to come on and do a discussion about your book, The Dawkins Letters? And I thought, okay, let's go with this. Let's see, I've never... So anyway, um, they played some Black Sabbath and then the jockey came on, uh, the, the DJ came on and said, well, there was some Sabbath and uh, you know, he says, we've got this guy coming on who's written a book about my favorite atheist, Richard Dawkins. And, uh, and then he just turned to me uh, 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 on the radio, obviously, and said, hey, Dave, do you believe in a talking snake? And I knew instantly I was in big trouble. And for half an hour, we batted back and forth lots of different things. But what we're going to read just now sounds at that level of fantastical. And I hope that uh, you'll feel free to ask questions. Um, uh, I, for, for that particular question, by the way, the answer was, well, if God is almighty, he can use anything, including a snake. That really wasn't the issue. So let's read Genesis chapter three. And unusually, I do actually want to read the whole chapter because it is a story. And it, um, it's, I think, to get the context right. So you, you are able to access this through, if you look at the chat line, You'll see the Bible gateway. Um, okay, let's start at the beginning. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the fig from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. By the way, um, it's, there's a subtlety in this story at this point. First of all, um, God didn't say, and it's always been the devil's favorite tactic, did God really say? And secondly, what the woman does is very interesting because she adds on to what God uh, had said. Um, it's very interesting when you contrast Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. And I think these are, by the way, are, are two common tactics today. One is to doubt God's word or to get us to doubt God's word and the other is to add to it or indeed to take away from it. Anyway, let's continue. Genesis 3, 4. 
You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, by the way, again, we're not going to look into this in all detail, but that's something for those of you who like Latin um, that theologians call the proto-evangelium meaning the first promise of the gospel. And it's not really a comment about snakes. It's a comment about the enmity between humanity and evil, uh, humanity and the devil. And it's the first promise of Christ that the offspring of the woman, hence Jesus, born of a woman, as the New Testament says, was to be the one who would crush and strike um, the evil one. Okay, Genesis 3.16, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Um, desire there, by the way, doesn't mean um, sexual desire. It means uh, it's really a promise of, of combating between male and female. Um, one of those things that has proven true. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of sin for Adam and uh, garments of skin, sorry, for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, uh, it's an amazing chapter and there's so much in it. We're not gonna be able to look at it all. Um, if you want, you can use the chat button at the bottom and questions and stuff will come up and uh, we'll look at them at the end or you can make comments or anything like that. Feel free um, to do so. But um, what I want to do, if I possibly can, is just simply to uh, 
think through this in terms of the state of humanity today? What has this got to do with the world today? Well, it helps us see certain things and answer certain questions. So, for example, an, arg an argument that's often used is if God made the world, then why, is, why, why are there earthquakes? Why are there uh, coronaviruses? Why are there things that in this world do not appear to be good, indeed are not good? Did God not make the, wo the world perfect? And so it's a, it's a very famous argument. So Stephen Fry, for example, talks about the insect that buries into someone's skull and eats them from the inside. Um, it... And the answer to that, the, the biblical answer that's given anyway, is that we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world which has been polluted. And well, who's it being polluted by? God didn't create it polluted. It's being polluted by both um, evil and by uh, humanity accepting that evil and going against God. In fact, the argument here is that the reason the world is so screwed up is because we have gone against God. I remember listening to a program from BBC Radio 4, and it just really stuck in my head. It must have done because it was years and years ago. And it was a scientist in the Antarctic. Now, the nearest I've ever got to the Antarctic is Tasmania. Uh, I was visiting Hobart once and looking out over the sea, and someone said, well, next stop, the Antarctic. Well, this scientist was being interviewed, and he described how things had changed in the Antarctic. And he climbed, he said he climbed to the top of a hill, which was only about 100 feet high. And he said that he looked out and he said, I used to be able to look out and with the naked eye, I could see 400 miles. Now I can only see 100 miles. And it struck me that he was talking about, this is because of pollution, I guess what we would now call climate change. And it struck me that what he was saying was a, a great illustration of how things have impacted the world. Um, we see what we see. We only see from our own perspective. So I went in to an optician uh, to get an eye test because I was going to sit a driving test when I was a student. And the optician said, David, how's your eyesight? I said, oh, 20-20 vision. No problem at all. I don't need glasses. I'm just here to get the certificate for the driving test. So the optician sat me down in front of the board that they had, um, and he put some special glasses on and covered my uh, left eye and he said can you read the top of the board and I did the you know the A E F G and worked my way down till about the second bottom he said good and then he covered over my right eye and said can you read the board and I said what board I couldn't I could hardly see it and it turned out that one of my eyes was incredibly lazy and that I I absolutely needed glasses and he mucked around with some lenses and he put them in and I couldn't believe what I was seeing I was seeing the room so much clearer and brighter and sharper. And I, I said, well, how come I didn't notice this? And he says, well, your eyesight gradually deteriorates. And for me, that's exactly the same with sin. We live in a world that's corrupted by sin and we're so used to it that we don't notice it. We think this is the norm. We, we don't recognize what is wrong. Occasionally something happens that kind of enables us to see, but often we don't see it. And that's why John, Rutten, John Newton wrote in his song, Amazing Grace, I was blind, but now I see. So we live in a, in, in a broken world. And incidentally, it's a world in which, um, how will I put it? It's a world in which 
the promises in the Bible that we are going to experience uh, a renewal. It's, there's a promise of a renewal of the whole earth, of a new heavens and a new earth. And maybe we can come back to that later. But what I really, the main thing I wanted to emphasize today is not just the brokenness of the world in terms of nature, but the brokenness of the world in terms of humanity. So in the Genesis account, we read that God created the world good. But when it talks about humanity, it talks about God creating human beings. And it says that they were very good. And that's because we're created, we were created with a moral sense, a sense of right and wrong, um, a, a capacity to think, a capacity to verbalize, and a capacity for relationships. So marriage wasn't invented after the fall, it was there before, and also a capacity for work. So before the fall, you have work. Before the fall, you have relationships. Before the fall, you have the worship of God. But after the fall, all of that is mucked up. Now, the Roman Catholic writer G.K. Chesterton argued that the one doctrine in Christianity that is provable is um, the doctrine of sin. And I think that that is hugely significant and, and hugely important. Or he meant the doctrine, he actually meant the doctrine of original sin. And I think that's totally provable. I think that every single human being is born flawed. Now, you're all a bunch of wonderful people. Some of your faces I can see, some of them I can't see just now. Um, you're, but I will guarantee that every single one of you has sin and all of us has sin. And that, I guess the proof of that would be very simple. If um, you were to come back here next week and I was to say to you, have you gone a whole week without saying, doing, thinking anything wrong? I wouldn't believe you if you said yes. Even if you're in lockdown, if, if you're in lockdown, I'm going to talk to your, to your wife or to your husband or to your kids and say, yeah, you know, no, dad or mom was perfect. Um, no, I, I don't think that is. And we see that in different ways. So, for example, in this current coronavirus thing, you see both the best and the worst of humanity. You see people trying to help one another. You see people, um, like I would uh, mention, you know, I'm very proud of my own daughter who's a coronavirus nurse. And, you know, she volunteered for it. She didn't have to be. She could have carried on just doing her normal nursing. But she did that you know, there's a sense of, of, of looking for the common good and, and human goodness. And we see that there is, the Bible doesn't teach that there is no good at all within humanity. But it does teach that within every human being, there is a problem with sinfulness. And I see that in terms of, um, well, let's say, you know, that we, we joke about the toilet roll thing, but that's, that's about greed. And there are people in this crisis who will be seeking to make money out of it. There are people who will find themselves um, enriched by this. Uh, there are people who are just being incredibly selfish. You, you go into the, the store and there's just a last piece of meat or something and you, uh, you take more than you need. You take it all for yourself and then the little old lady behind you gets nothing. And well, what do you care? Well, that's what we call original sin. Another aspect of that, I think, is this. You know, we talk about lockdown and, and the way that government talks about it and the way that society talks about it, it tends to be, well, this is going to be wonderful. We're going to have two weeks of Netflix and takeaway and we're all going to stay in our little homes and we're all going to be great. And the answer to that is, no, that's not, that's not how it's going to happen. Um, at the most extreme level, there are many women today, especially, who are dreading the idea of being locked down because of domestic violence and what causes somebody to, to be like that. Well, um, there is a, a, 
a singer who I've mentioned before I love called Leonard Cohen. And in his latter years, he seemed to be going more and more towards biblical themes. And one of his songs says, you know, I was born in chains. Uh, and I, he talks about, we've been locked down and in, in, in ourselves. I think it was Marx and Engels who talked about human beings everywhere being born in chains and need to be released. Now, they were talking about societal chains. What Cohen is talking about and what the Bible is talking about is that each of us is born with a handicap of sin. Uh, there's nobody, there's not one of us born without that. And this Genesis 3 story is explaining how that happened, that Adam, as if you like the human head, Adam just means humanity. Uh, humanity has decided to go against God. So that's where we're at. And that's, that's the situation that we find ourselves in. Um, maybe the last thing I would say on this, Psalm 51, King David says exactly the same thing. He said, I was born or I was shape, shapen in iniquity. I, you know, what do I do? This is so deeply ingrained. So here is a very radical thing in terms of how we look at things. We might think if only we had the right laws that would restrain people, then that would encourage people to be good. Doesn't work like that. Restrains people, yes, but cannot change the human heart. We might think if only we had the right education, even if only we had the right religion, it doesn't work. It was Dostoevsky who, I think it was Dostoevsky, I'm, I'm quoting from memory, it was one of the great Russians anyway, it could have been Tolkien. Or it, no, in fact, it wasn't. It was Solzhenitsyn. It was Solzhenitsyn who said that uh, the dividing line between good and evil goes through the middle of every human heart. And that's it. That, the, the Bible in Romans chapter seven talks about that, this dividing line between good and evil. And that's the problem. The problem is so deep within us that we need radical spiritual surgery. It's what Jesus called being born again. And I realize that phrase has become very meaningless in lots of ways and caricatured but just means we need a new start, a new heart, a new beginning. The Psalmist David in Psalm 51, after confessing his sin, says, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, renew a right spirit within me. And I think that's the ultimate solution. So just finishing off by coming back to the situation we are in. Doubtless we'll find a vaccine for coronavirus. Doubtless there'll be more viruses, but at the end of the day, what is the vaccine for human sin? Uh, my argument would simply be, it's found and seen and welcomed in the person of Jesus Christ. What would you say about the proliferation of laws, particularly over, say, the last 20 to 30 years, and the, the, the calls on, the constant calls on people in our community to kind of solve everything by the legal system? Have you got any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I have. And then, uh, and then I want to answer one of the, the uh, there's, there's a question about disability, and I really do want to answer that as well. So let me do the law one first. Um, uh, you'll be pleased to hear this. There's good news and bad news for those of you who are lawyers. Um, law is essential in human society. Without law, we end up in complete and total chaos. So uh, there, there's always going to be lawyers. Um, I don't think in heaven there'll be lawyers. You'll have different jobs there. Uh, the problem is we have to look at what is the purpose of law. Now, and actually, you know, maybe this is a, another discussion as well. What's the purpose of lawyers? What's the purpose of judges? And I would argue that um, laws are in a democratic society are made by politicians and enforced by lawyers and by judges. Um, I think society begins to really, uh, we end up 
moving towards authoritarianism if we determine that it's the lawyers and the judges who make the laws, which the politicians then have to fall in with. It really should be the other way around. But the purpose of law itself is explained again in the Bible. Paul talking about the authorities says that it's to punish evil and to restrain evildoers. So um, there was a, a town in England that decided, you know this, we don't need traffic wardens. Well, you know, people, we can trust people. We'll just appeal to people's goodness and, and general nature. Well, you can imagine what happened. There was complete chaos. And it's the same thing that you can see how law works. So I, let, let's come to this current coronavirus thing. Um, the government can advise people, look, we, we don't want you to do this. We don't want you to do that. Can you please do this? At some point, if they deem it absolutely necessary, they're going to have to enforce it through law. So we advise you not to go to Bondi Beach, the old town of Bondi Beach. Okay, we're going to make a law. You can't go to Bondi Beach. Um, so laws have, in some ways, law is a very blunt instrument, but it's a necessary one. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to go on to the, uh, Peter, the one on dis disability. How would you speak to someone who has a disabled child in terms of what you said about living in a disabled world? A broken world, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I did say that we're a broken world or a disabled world. I mean, it's interesting because in kind of modern PC language, using the term disabled is not um, appropriate. I used to work for an organization called the Scottish Spastics Council. Well, they had to change their name because that's not allowed either. And I understandably, and I agree with that actually. But um, my argument with that is very, very simple. I think what we've been looking at in Genesis 3 is very straightforward. And that is to say, all human beings are broken. You know, that disability, if you like, it can be, um, what's the word, can be physical. So when I worked for what was then called the Scottish Spastics Council, I remember going down to work and there was a 23-year-old man called Jojo. And Jojo, he could have, you know, there's my hand. He could have, he was curled up in a ball. Um, he was severely, severely uh, um, disabled in many, many ways. And I remember thinking, well, I'm here as the good guy, come to help him. You know, it's a bit patronizing. And I realized within five minutes, he operated with what was called a bliss board, that he had a really uh, acute intellect and that he had a very, very sharp um sense of spirituality and, and indeed humor and i remember coming away in tears because i just thought wow you know it's just a better human being than i am so what i would say is that um if someone depends who they were but if someone and I, i've de dealt with this a huge amount um all human beings are made in god's image whatever their limitations and disability and all human beings are to some extent disabled we're not the best that we can be did Adam and Eve know good and evil before they ate the fruit? I, I don't think they knew it in the sense of um, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, no, because otherwise that would have been um, pointless. I think it's what we call the age of innocence. I don't know if you've ever read John Milton's Paradise Lost, but it's utterly, utterly brilliant. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, I think of it almost, it's, it's like the childhood of humanity or the infancy of humanity and i do think of that in terms of children i like the fact that my seven-year-old granddaughter is is innocent and doesn't know a great deal of good and evil and 
do you know this? I, I don't want her to be, I, I want her to grow up with that innocence as much as possible. And she needs to be taught about good and evil at some point because she's going to experience it. But uh, no, I don't think that they did. Don't think I did. Um, did they know um, that what they were doing was wrong? Well, they're in a relationship with God. God tells them not to do something. The devil tells them that what God told them was wrong and wicked, um, was false. Yes, I think that they knew that they were disobeying God. This was not something involuntary. This was a deliberate act of disobedience. So to, just to give a very simple illustration, if uh, I, let's say I painted, um, I don't know, a table or something, and one of my grandkids came in and touched it, and I hadn't told them not to touch it. Well, they're not to blame. They, they weren't told that. But if I say to them, there's that table, you must not touch that table. It has been painted. I want you to leave it. And they deliberately go and touch it. Uh, I think that's what Adam and Eve did. I think they were given a test, and I think they failed that test. And therefore, on that day, it says on the day you do it, on the day you eat of it, you will die. Well, they didn't physically die. But I think spiritually they died, and the Bible talks us about being spiritually dead. Uh, I'll keep going. You talk about how Satan says God did really say. How do you see that same approach by the devil in modern society? I, I this comes back. Uh, can I bring this back to the law? You know, um, Samuel Rutherford, uh, a Scottish Presbyterian minister from the 17th century, wrote a book called Lex Rex: The Law Is King. Now. He was punished and imprisoned for it because the political politicians of the time, the king, wanted the book to be wanted it to be titled Rex Lex, the King is the Law. And the trouble is that you need a foundation for law. Who's gonna make the laws? Who's gonna decide whether something is right or is wrong? If you're gonna leave that up to the society, then law just becomes a societal construct which is really enforced by those who are the rich and powerful. If you come up with some idea of saying, well, there's an inbuilt natural law, which every human being really knows. One, I think that's empirically very difficult to prove. And two, I think you've got to ask where it comes from. Whereas the biblical idea is to simply say that uh, God, there is God's law and that it's written in two places. First of all, it is written in, um, human heart. So in that sense, it is right that every human being has a consciousness, a sense of right and wrong, however distorted that may be. I think if someone has it completely distorted, they're a sociopath. Uh, and secondly, we have God's word given to us, which um, it's not a book of law as such, although one or two parts of it are, but it is a book which reveals God's nature uh, and therefore that from which his law comes. Okay, um, now, David, I've just got, I've got one more here, but I just wanted to ask you, the um, title for today's talk was uh, Humans Are Banished, right? Yeah. Have you got any reflections on the nature of, you know, um, banishment, exile, self-isolation that we're sort of, many of us experience at the moment? Um, and do you want to talk about the fourth link that's posted on top of the message board, which talks about a panic room? What, what, what's all that about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, we'll come to the panic room. Can I, can I come to the panic room in just a minute? Sure. Uh, you know, the banishment, well, that, that, that still comes back into the, the question uh, about the law because 
I think we have been banished from the presence of God. That's the key thing in the garden, banished from the presence of God and banished from eternal life. Um, and I think that banishment, humans in exile, what does that mean? Now, some of you, you know, we're saying we're banished at the moment. Well, uh, you know, apparently, according to the Australian government, we're at stage two. There's a stage three and a stage four to come. Banished means sent away from home, sent away from where you belong. I, I don't think it's analogous to the situation we find ourselves in at the moment, unless you regard your work as home and you've been banished from that. Um, I, I, I hope most of you are not that sad. Uh, I think that here, if you can see of it, a bit like Napoleon being banished to the island of Elba. It's, it's we're away from home, we're in exile. And I think human beings are in exile. We're away from God our Father. We're away from the relationships even that we should have when, with one another. And that affects where we are at the moment. Um, the Panic Room, uh, Stephen McAlpine and I, we run this thing, well, we run a thing called Third Space and we have a, a website uh, third space uh, website. Uh, that website is in the shape of a house where there are different rooms to discuss different things, everything from music to law, if you like. And we put up different articles and so on. But we came up with the idea a while ago that in rooms, um, if you're really wealthy, some people have a panic room that you go into. You know, so if, if you're in an area where there's likely to be tornadoes, then people will have a room that they can go into or um, you can have a, a sort of lockdown room. And so we've created this virtual lockdown room where uh, every day at 11 o'clock, Steve and I are just going to uh, talk about one issue that comes up because of this. Now, it's not going to all be uh, coronavirus. The point about it is that it's a panic room that's designed to bring comfort. Uh, when you go around saying to people, don't panic, don't panic, then they're going to panic. When I hear a message, if I was to go off today and put on the news and say, now the government is warning us not to panic, I'm thinking there must be a reason to panic. That's just the way it is. Maybe that's the way human nature is. Well, our, our idea of the room is not to say to people, don't panic. Our idea is, in a sense, almost to distract people, but also to help people think uh, in a wider context and to realize that there is safety and so on. Okay. Right. okay. So the link's on the, on the message board there. There's another question here. Uh, is there a difference between spiritual and eternal death? I think we've probably got time for one more question after this. Can I do the ones that are, can I do the ones on the chat oh, very, yeah. very quickly? Yeah. I'll just do them quickly. Uh, the answer is, well, no, spiritual death is eternal death. Um, I, I think that when we die spiritually, in a sense, we've died eternally, although the consequences of eternal death, we don't really see until after we die. Yeah. Um, there's a comment here. It's a good comment. There's an advocate in heaven uh, and a judge. Absolutely. So if we want to, I think we, we, we should probably come back to that at some point. It's interesting how, Jesus is described as our advocate, or even he sends us the Holy Spirit as the advocate, and Jesus as the judge, and God as the judge. So it's interesting, all these things are mirrored in that. Uh, what does the Lord of the Flies say about human nature? Uh, precisely the same as Genesis 3. Uh, great book, by the way. Um, 1,000 years equals one day. The day you eat of it, you will die. Uh, I have no idea. I, I think the day is not a 24-hour day. Um, Christians will disagree about that, but 24 hour days is measured by sun and moon and that's not till the third day. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.